0: You are listening to a Hillbilly Horror Stories classic episode. All right, toodles, bitches, and welcome to episode 14, Hillbilly Horror Story. I am excited to be here tonight. I'm with my lovely co-host, Tracy Polly.
1: What up, yo? All
0: right, so we're going to have a really good story for you tonight. It's one of the most documented cases in paranormal history. had a movie made about it, and I think you're really going to enjoy the story. I know I enjoy doing the research on it, and... Uh, it's it's a really a fascinating story, and it kind of ties in. Last week we did The Exorcist and a true story behind that, and this week this is the true story behind the movie The Entity, which isn't as well known as The Exorcist, but it was made in uh, 1982 and was a pretty popular movie back then. I know it scared me, of course. I was uh, only about you know 11, 12 years old back then, so it didn't take a whole lot to scare me back then.
1: Well, that's just making me feel pretty dang old because I graduated high school in '81. Yeah. So, what you got something to say?
0: No, I was just wondering if you had calculators or if you had to use an abacus. And, <laughs> I mean, I've seen Little House on the Prairie, so I kind of know what you went through in the little one-room uh, schoolhouse. Yeah,
1: and, don't be jealous of my bonnet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to start off tonight, We last week, we uh, started doing some shout-outs, and I said I was going to do that every week, so we're going to do that this week. We're also going to read a couple of emails as part of our shout-outs that we got this week that we're actually pretty proud of, so you listeners are are pretty good about sending us stuff. Uh, we also asked for some uh, personal ghost stories. We got one of those that we're going to read after we get through with the uh, the entity story. Let's get this going right now. With uh, the first shout out, I want to, this is a husband and wife team, Chris and Alexis Castorline. Yep, yep. They actually live here in Lexington, Kentucky with us. Chris goes to UK and he shares us with all of his buddies uh, at school, at the dentistry school up there. So we appreciate you guys listening.
1: Yeah, and if there's any of you peeps listening in Michigan... Dr. Casterline is going to be moving there, and he'd be a great dentist to go see. So, just giving you a little shout out there, Chris.
0: There you go. All right, so let's start off, and, and, and my my New Year's resolution that we're going to start in November is to quit saying "so" so much. Uh, I don't <laughs> I don't know if I got that from watching um, Shark Tank because I notice on Shark Tank every time somebody asks a question, ah! the people always start off with "so." And I think now I've picked up that addiction. Yeah, so it's, it's
1: a bad one.
0: I'm going to try to get rid of that. So... <laughs>
1: <laughs> so
0: <laughs> the first the first shout-out that I want to give that's going to have an email attached is to a Cammie Rego. And here's what her email states. Oh my God, I had to take the time to write you and let you know how great your show is. I was off work yesterday and stumbled across your show. I saw the latest episode was on The Exorcist. I am an exorcist freak. Needless to say... I listened to the entire episode and was blown away. Excellent storytelling and loaded with details. I then proceeded to listen to the other 12 episodes in reverse order. Literally, 8 hours later, I finished the last episode and was disappointed that there were no more episodes. You guys have a fan for life. I haven't had a TV show or podcast that I've ever been so quickly addicted to. You really know how to tell a story and paint a picture. I would close my eyes and feel like I was wherever you were talking about. Amazing talent. I honestly felt like I knew all of you by the time I was done listening. I was touched by the story you told about your mom, so genuine. I wanted to reach out by the phone and give you a hug. Because I listened to the newer episodes first, I didn't know who Ricky was when you did your little tribute to him. By the way, it was funny, but also touching. It was obvious that he means a lot to you. By the time I got finished listening to the first episode, I was sad that Ricky wouldn't be there. Like I said, you guys felt like part of my family after 13 episodes. How much of an addict am I when my husband got home? We listened to the Exorcist episode and two episodes of The Rock and the Occult. He's a huge Zeppelin fan. All I can say is that I will be on pins and needles waiting for future episodes. Thank you so much, Cammie, for that awesome email. We appreciate it. That's why we do what we do is to hear things like that.
1: Yeah, that was great, Cammy. Thank you so much. We really do appreciate that.
0: The second shout-out with an email I want to give is to Mindy from Greenville, North Carolina. Now, I'm going to preface this by saying, out of all the emails that we've gotten, this one by far has been the most, um, I guess, gut-wrenching and heartfelt that we've received. Kind of one of those deals that you don't realize that what you're doing may be affecting other people. we just kind of doing a stupid little podcast where we just kind of talk and have some fun, and, and that's where it goes. Uh, this kind of put it in a different light as to maybe what some of this means to others without us ever having a clue so i'm going to read this email it's kind of long but it's worth listening to it says hello jerry ricky and tracy my name is mindy and i live in greenville north carolina i apologize for the long email in advance but i feel that it's necessary to tell you guys how you have completely changed my life you see i lost my eight-year-old son to cancer in march 2015 he was our only child I have spent the last year and a half in a major depression. I have contemplated suicide more times than I can count. It has cost me my job and been a huge strain on my marriage. I have always been a faithful person, but when this happened, I lost all faith in God. I mean, if there is a God, how can he allow a child to suffer like my little Luke did? How could he ignore so many prayers from so many people? How could he take a child from a family who loved him so much? What really depressed me the most is not knowing Luke's future. I no longer believed he was in a better place, so to speak, because I didn't believe there was such a place anymore. Does he just not exist anymore? These questions hurt me to the very depths of my soul. I have to be honest, I have never believed in the paranormal, and your show is definitely not the kind of stuff I watch on TV or would listen to. Just not my cup of tea. One day in October... I was on Craigslist and I saw a post that said hillbilly horror stories. I was curious and clicked on it. Something told me to just listen. The first episode, you talked about your mom. I really felt like I was meant to hear that story. I felt like you were talking to me. Can this be true? Did your mom actually reach out to you from the afterlife? I kept listening episode after episode. Then it happened. Episode four. Jerry, you talked about loved ones who have passed on reaching out and trying to communicate by leaving dimes. I broke down and cried, not out of sadness, but out of pure ecstasy. This is what God wanted me to hear. I honestly believe that God led me to your show for this story. Since my son's death, I have felt like what feels like hundreds of dollars worth of dimes. I know this because I started to see so many that it stood out to me. I had even commented to my husband how I found five One day in five different places. It just seems like everywhere I turned around, there was a dime on the floor or on the table or on my nightstand. I now know without a shadow of doubt that Luke is still out there and he has been trying to let me know. I would never have known this without you. I love you so much for this. I am now happy, truly happy again. My marriage is getting better and I feel like I'm alive again. My faith in God is back, even though I still don't know the answers to why he had to suffer and such. Maybe it's not meant for me to know. What is important is that I now believe that he is in a better place. Please keep doing what you do, because I'm convinced that stories probably affect several people the way that they affected me. May God bless every one of you.
1: Aw, that's awesome.
0: So, with that being said, Mindy, hopefully you're listening to this episode, and and, uh, we definitely send our condolences for what you went through, and we're glad that we could be of any help whatsoever um, to your hardship and, and, and if it's helped you, you know, we're the lucky ones for yeah. being able to, to contribute in any way, cause that wouldn't the intention. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll be honest with you, I've told that dime story to several people when they've been, um, at a loss for someone, and they're they're kind of suffering, hoping that it would make them feel better. So it it doesn't surprise me that if there was one story that helped, that it was that story. So
1: Well, I mean, it's interesting for me as well, because I didn't know about the dime thing either. And my mom passed away last year, and um, Jerry was telling me stories. You know, we had talked about some things, and, you know, the very day that my mom passed away, I mean... I literally looked down and there was a dime at the foot of the bed. And, I mean, I actually had a girl that was in the room with us. She's a friend of ours. And she said that she talked and could see um, other people that have passed on. And after Mom did pass on and I seen the dime, she actually told me that Mom was standing right beside me. And I'm telling you, that is... I can't even explain that feeling to you. I mean, I I literally broke down, but I knew she was in a better place. But also, just knowing that she was still, like, standing right there beside me is just, it's an indescribable feeling. And, you know, that, that story that he told me, I mean, about the diamonds really helped me as well. So, I'm glad it did that for you as well. And, um, you know, we'll keep you in our thoughts and prayers. And uh, just, you know, look forward to brighter days and greater days and, you know, just celebrate life.
0: Amen. All right. Kind of a rough transition, but uh, let's jump into our story. I know we, we just briefly spoke a little bit about this being the most documented. And the reason I say that is you're going you're gonna to find out through the course of the story that there were 30 different people at one point in a room. Uh, actually taking photos and seeing this, this stuff happen. So it's not, well, we saw this or, or two people saw it. It's literally 30 people. That's
1: insane. That's crazy.
0: You're going to find out that there were neighbors that have seen this stuff and what have you. So let's just jump into it. So we're going to go back to 1974, Culver City, California. And, and actually this is August 22nd was my birthday when all this took place. But you had a guy named Dr. Barry Taff. He was in a coffee shop and he was talking to, uh, somebody about paranormal and this young lady overheard him and and she said you know i think my house is haunted and uh, he got some information from her got the address he went and talked to his his partner carrie gainer and they decided that they would go visit this house at, at 11 547 braddock drive in culver city you know this little lady by the name of Doris Byther, she's a little petite woman in her thirties. She greeted them. And this house was dilapidated. It was falling apart.
1: Oh, yeah. It was I'm, pretty bad. I
0: mean, this place had already been condemned by the state twice.
1: No, like sort of like a hoarder's house, I guess. Yeah, I
0: guess. They walk in. They said the place is just in shambles. Everything's falling apart. And this lady's got four kids. She's got a little girl and she's got three little boys. Um, they immediately noticed that, that after talking to them for a little bit, that there was a lot of, um, I guess a dissension between the family. It's like the kids, uh, had a a lot of problems with the, with the mom. And the reasons for this being mom was a huge drinker. Mom was kind of abusive. Um, she was always drunk. I mean, and the kids, I guess they just, they just didn't like it. They didn't take to that.
1: Well, yeah. And especially having to live their life in this house that was like unlivable. Right. So you know, they probably had some tension for that alone.
0: And the, and the kids are various ages. The daughter was six. Uh the boys were ten, thirteen, and sixteen, so you know they're they're starting to get to that age where they notice stuff like that, like you know mom's drinking all the time or what have you yeah, that's a shame, so as they start talking to to um uh, Doris and trying to find out a little bit about her house, they found out that you know she had been abused growing up. From oh, her parents. That's sad. And then she also was in several abusive relationships with guys. So this was, an, the abuse thing was an ongoing thing. So
1: it's like the only life she knew, I guess.
0: Yeah. It was, I mean, that was pretty much it. That's sad. So they start talking. So I did that soul thing again. I said, I said soul three times in like six words right now. Sorry, there. guys. I'll
1: knock him upside the head. I'm, the try,
0: I'm trying. I'm trying. I know, because I'll guarantee somebody out there is said, why does he say soul so much? <laughs> <laughs> but, from what's known is this lady is a drunk who's been abused. The drinking probably has has to do from self-hatred and self-loathing. Now, the crazy thing is, if you live in a real negative atmosphere, you know, you got kids that hate you, mm-hmm. you've been abused your whole life, you live in a really crappy house, money's tight. Those are like the, uh, you know, a big negative... Everything that is negative around, yeah. that's like the perfect lightning rod for paranormal activities. Either attracting poltergeist activity or uh, psychosomatically creating it. And what a lot of people don't realize is when it comes to poltergeist activity. You know, people have seen the movie Poltergeist and they see all that. Uh, what they think is, oh, it's funny stuff. Maybe they hear about poltergeists being pranksters and stacking the chairs like they did in mm-hmm. the movies. But poltergeist activity, more times than not, involves children. Uh, it's usually a, a young child in the house that's affected by it. And what what experts believe is that a poltergeist is not a ghost at all. It's not anything like that. It's the child, uh, usually a teenager, going through what teenagers go through. They usually create an energy with their mind that causes this stuff to happen. Yeah. So it's kind of a you know a telekinesis type thing. So it's not a ghost at all. It's and that's why it usually involves young kids because teenagers go through some shit and then they. Project that out into an energy. So, oh,
1: that's interesting. When I never you th- really thought about and, that, and
0: actually, it's more more of a poltergeist setting. Is if you think about the movie Carrie mm-hmm. and the stuff that she would do, that's more of what a poltergeist is. Mm-hmm. Is the stuff that she had happen through her own mind. Yes. So, oh, there we go again. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, when you get into a situation where as much negativity in this house you know you get this and and that's what a lot of people think might have been happening with Doris even though she wasn't a teenager and we'll get a little more into that but Doris claimed the spirits would physically attack her and the reports range from Doris walking around the house and just bumping into ghosts to actual spectral rape now spectral rape is actually um you know when people think rape they think the typical somebody grabs you and attacks you and, and what have you a spectral rape can be more of a, a mental thing. Uh, it's kind of like a mental rape, so to speak. So she had this happen to her in her mind. So even though it didn't physically happen, you know, from penetration or what have you, in her mind, she was violated and that counts as a spectral rape.
1: But what's that one guy that said he raped a ghost?
0: That's, uh, Bobby Brown. Well, oh. He said the ro- the, the, the ghost actually had sex with him. <laughs> Uh-oh. So I don't think that was rape when you got two consenting... Well,
1: ghosts and crazy-ass person. <laughs> yeah, I think when you mix
0: <laughs> drugs and ghosts together, something's going to
1: happen. Oh, okay, sorry.
0: Now, she said, she said that, you know, she would bump into ghosts and what have you, and then the spectral rape. Um, Taft and Gaynor were skeptical of all this. You know, they, they just want to come check it out. Um, ghost apparitions are kind of hard to prove with, with evidence, you know, scientifically anyway. And, and ghostly rape is even harder to believe. Uh, So it's not until they kind of saw the bruises all over her body and on her inner thighs
1: wow, that
0: they kind of said, hey, maybe there's something here. Let's go ahead and take a look at it. The other thing they started being convinced of is they started talking to neighbors, and neighbors were saying that they were seeing apparitions in the house. So now you've got neighbors saying they've seen ghosts. They start talking to the kids, and the kids are saying that they've seen ghosts. Now, the funny thing is when you talk to the kids and you're talking to Doris... They say that the ghosts were Asian.
1: Wow. Asian ghosts?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, well, I, I mean,
1: why does that sound weird?
0: I Man, I, I guess typically when you see ghosts, you usually don't see the face really clear or what have you to tell if somebody is Asian, which is going to be your best way of telling because you got to be able to see, you know, the eye. I mean, the eyes, I guess, are probably how they were, you know, guessing they were Asian either. No, I,
1: that just sounds really weird. I don't know. I guess there is all kinds of ghosts, I guess.
0: So they saw three ghosts. All, all of them Asian. And that was kind of the, you know, that's what the kids said, and that's what the, uh, the parents said. As a matter of fact, the kids saw them so much, they called one of them Mr. Who's It.
1: Okay, so the kids said that they were Asian as well. Yeah,
0: the kids. The kids oh and her gosh. all said that. And the kids called one of them, the the tall one, or they said there was two small ones and mm-hmm. one big one, and they called him Mr. Who's It.
1: Mr. Who's It.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I start seeing some, some ghosts around my house.
1: Me so horny. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Is so, that
0: what says it? I think so. Yeah. Okay.
1: Sorry. Okay. Yeah, that's
0: that's going back a bit. So oh. you're starting to show your age. <laughs> <laughs> so the claim of rape, uh, you know, this was obviously the, probably the most interesting aspect of the whole case. And, and Doris reported that two of the beans, the small ones, would hold her down while the biggest or the tallest would rape her. Now Doris's oldest son, he admitted to even seeing this, oh my and gosh. he even tried he even tried to come and intervene and help, and he was tossed across the room by some kind of a force.
1: Oh, trying to keep him yeah, away. Yeah, he
0: kind of jumped in to try to help. He, he could see, I guess, what looked like her being attacked, I guess legs being spread. God, and,
1: that's the craziest crap.
0: But to both the, to both of the investigators, uh, this must have been probably the most bizarre thing they'd ever heard. So how can you pr- prove it or even claim it? Um, you'd think that somebody had to be crazy to even say something like well, this. Oh yeah. So the, this team decided to set up shop. They brought in all the high-tech equipment, which for the 70s, I mean, they had the best that they could get. Uh, they brought in all these high-speed cameras and even professional photographers and up to 30 investigators to help capture this on tape. So they go into her bedroom. Now, this is where it starts getting famous. This is where you say it's the most documented. Now you've got 30 different people, professional photographers, investigators. You've got the whole gamut of people in here. They go into her bedroom because she said this is where the most of it was. It's a small room, so they're all cramped in there. They decided that they wanted to have doors kind of conjure up uh, the beans by calling them names, cursing at them, what oh, have yeah. you, kind For of pissing them, them off. Yeah. So she begins swearing and yelling and um, while well, the spirits, you know, at the spirits, and and then all of a sudden these lights start manifesting all around the room. I mean, orbs and lights and what have you. So everybody's kind of amazed. So they're you got pictures being snapped left and right. Wow. And. uh at one point, at one point, you know, she's sitting, she's sitting there and, and, and one of the cameramen, he's got like a Polaroid and she's like, he's right here in the corner. So they took a picture in the corner. <clears throat> Sorry. So they took a picture in the corner and then she'd be like, okay, now he's over here. So they took another picture of the corner. And then she'd be like, he's right in front of my face. And they took a picture of her face. And then when she said he's gone now, they took another picture of her face. The pictures where she said he was gone turned out. But the pictures where she said he's right in front of my face or he's in that corner, they were completely bleached out. It's a Polaroid picture. They were completely bleached out.
1: Oh, so there was nothing on it? Just like a big white blur? Yeah, it
0: was like a super faded big white blur. But then the other two pictures were perfectly fine. So when she said it was there and these pictures were back to back, so, I mean, that was kind of one of the things they had. So, in this room, now they've got all these cambers and stuff rolling, and she's yelling and screaming, and, and the orbs and stuff are flying around. So, just picture that. She keeps she keeps going and provoking and provoking them, and this greenish mist starts to form in the corner, uh, kind of like it was cooling up. So, the green mist started swirling and growing. Within seconds, the form of a man's upper torso started to become visible in the mist. Very large, lots of muscles, uh, is what they reported seeing. It was it was obvious that it was a man just by the torso. Oh they couldn't God. couldn't see any facial features, nothing like that. But it did show the the investigators that it was a man just based on on the
1: uh, maybe it was the Hulk.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> if it was, it was green. <laughs> so from what they gathered, it was a male. And uh, one of the investigators it was funny after seeing this; he actually fainted.
1: Oh my, an investigator
0: baby? Yeah, one of the investigators seen that he freaked out and fainted. <laughs> oh, what? So, no, it didn't matter how many high-speed cameras they had set up to capture this. The team even had professional cameramen, like we said earlier. None of it ever came out on film. The only pictures that uh, appear, and this is a famous picture. We'll post this on the website. It's a picture of her sitting on the bed, and you can see like a rounded, almost think of a rainbow-type round, but it's just a white kind of an arc, and it's
1: like around her?
0: or Well, it was more like uh, an arc. Think think like like a rainbow, uh, except just white with not all the colors. And what was amazing about this picture, like I said, I'll post it on the website, but what's amazing about this picture is you can see the walls behind her and you can see corners. Mm-hmm. And if this was something that was projected up on the wall, like uh, with a flashlight or right. or a projector or, or something like that, you would be able to see where it bends around the corner. And this is obviously just in the air. So, if no. it was, if this thing was shining on the wall, you would see how it, how it kind of bends when it goes to the corners. You can't, oh, you can't.
1: Well, yeah, yeah I you can't help that. About that.
0: But this thing is obviously right in the air.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so, you don't, you don't get to see the uh, manifestation of the, um, the, the guy's torso, but this is the only thing that turned out, and it's actually kind of freaky, so. Now, what Dr. Taff had reported is, and, and, and the oldest son would go on to say that the activities intensified whenever he played certain music, Black Sabbath and Uriah Heave were the albums played that caused the most problems. Uh, the songs that mentioned or were about devil worshiping is what seemed to upset the poltergeist. Mm-hmm. So you would think if it was a demon, that really wouldn't be something that would upset him. So yeah, that's,
1: because that's his. What do you call that, gyro? What do yeah. You call that I mean, Gen, what g- is it? Genre. Oh, I said gyro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, guys.
0: I think that's a member of a rap group. I remember Gyro. <laughs> oh, my God. <gosh. laughs> so what happened was the uh, reporters decided they wanted to have the guys start playing these songs to see what happened. And as soon as they started playing them, they started getting all these lights and the orbs, and it increased. Mm-hmm. The investigative team, they observed lights and poltergeist activity for about two and a half months at the time, and then everything just kind of started decreasing. It's important to point out a few factors in the case. Doris's addiction to alcohol and her being abusive and belligerent almost on a daily basis, as well as her unwillingness to seek help for her abuse and and, and deal properly with it, because of her refusal to properly deal with her own uh, psychotic issues, they believe that the energy and the energy in the home manifested itself as poltergeist phenomenon. So they do think that she was bringing all this on herself. Yes. There was just too many things that started to point to it. And what they also found out is when she wasn't drunk...
1: I was just going to ask you that question. What happens when she wasn't drinking?
0: When she wasn't drinking, there really was no issues. When she wasn't in the house, there really wasn't any issues.
1: Good Lord, that's so annoying.
0: Well, and then the funniest thing, though... I guess it's not funny, but I mean, it's kind of a coincidence. They think what happened is Doris was just somebody who was just really gifted. She had the, she had psychic powers mm-hmm. and she had the ability to cause these things to happen. But because she was always drunk. These things would take over at her weakest point, and it would just happen because she was kind of out of control. Uh-huh. If she knew how to control this and but wasn't drunk. But she was drunk, too drunk to right, do it. If she, was, if she was sober and knew how to control it, she actually had a pretty cool gift that she could have used for good. Uh-huh.
1: Boy, she sure had a sad life, though, didn't she? Well, the other
0: thing is, they, people that are psychic, they usually give birth to kids with psychic oh. energy.
1: Oh, so do you think it, the kids had it? They,
0: that, that's what they think. They think that it's possible that maybe the oldest son had it and between him having his problems with her and then her having the problems and being drunk, that that's what was causing all this. It could have been a situation where both of them back and forth were kind of causing this whole thing.
1: Wow, that's very interesting.
0: Yeah, so it's, it's not a, um, you know, it's not a far stretch to conclude that when Doris's mind was clouded and, and her inhibitions minimized, her uh, psychokinetic energy just took over.
1: So, in other words, I mean, earlier in her life, if she hadn't got help for her depression and all that, her life would have been totally different, probably, probably. and she could have helped for the good. Wow.
0: And what's probably that's
1: so sad. And you
0: got to, and you start looking at it from a psychological standpoint. Think about this: Doris claimed that there were three entities attacked her. These entities controlled her life and, to some extent, oppressed her. It's not a stretch from a psychological standpoint that these entities could have been a physical manifestation of of the relationship Doris had with her three kids, her three sons. I mean, you got three entities, you got three sons. From the reports that we know about the relationship with her sons, you know, it was not a good one. It was tumultuous and and I guess you could say violent at times. It definitely wasn't something like you'd see on the Brady Bunch.
1: Well, no, but I, I guess that makes sense. She said there was two younger ones that held her down while the older one so... I mean that would kind of go together. So, but in her mind, it was totally somebody else. Of course. Well, yeah,
0: and I mean, and she she suffered abuse her whole life, and the fact that she used alcohol and self medicated to avoid these, you know, post traumatic stress from her abuse could have had a metaphysical effect in her life. I mean, when you think about this, Doris could have been extremely psychic. You know, like I said, it's a, it's a good talent. You know, but but her own refusal to deal with her past and 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 the fact that she self medicated and kept her mind clouded. Didn't let her use the talent. Instead, because of her addiction and self-hate, she could have manifested this whole poltergeist as another way of attacking herself besides the alcohol.
1: Wow. And all this poor lady was needed was somebody to talk to and a really good hug. And, you know, her life might have been a whole different story. That's really a shame.
0: I mean, we talked about her, her son could have been psychic, too. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, it, it is usually the parents that pass this stuff along. And if the parent was psychic and the kids were psychic and this relationship as tumultuous as it was in the home, it could have produced a staggering amount of psychokinetic yeah. energy, energy. Um, enough energy to psych, you know, physically manifest poltergeist activity. The feelings that, that Doris's kids have had against her and the addiction. Um, I mean, it's, it's not surprising. I mean, this is, this mm-hmm. is just like the perfect storm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: the same way Doris's sons could have had a relationship with Doris, Strong love-hate relationship fueled by past abuse and alcohol and psychic abilities is a powerful concoction for poltergeist or, or psychokinetic energy. We talked about that. Uh, we can formulate the, the manifestation of spectral rape by Doris description of her attackers. Think about this now. Two of the smaller ones held her down mm-hmm. while the bigger one raped her. Right. We can speculate that, that Doris's household was very unstable. We know that her coming of age son, which is, you know, the oldest son. He's the biggest of the three sons. Yeah. Was probably harboring some resentful feelings toward her mother and, and her lifestyle. Yeah. She, in turn, saw her son as another man in her life trying to control or attack her. Therefore, subconsciously materializing rape or attack on herself, using her current feelings and occupants in the house as the basis for the rape. This would not, you know, really fit in with the, the part of her son's story because he said that at one point he tried to jump in there and help yeah, and got thrown say, across yeah, the room. So. But... Theoretically, from a psychological standpoint, you know this could be the three men, two but, small, one bigger. Yeah, could right. could really be, yeah. you know, in a sense, her three sons. they're not physically doing anything yeah, to her, so but her they're representative. Him, now, yeah. why they were Asian, I have no
1: clue. Yeah, that's kind of weird. That's that's still, I that blows my mind. I don't know
0: why. That's a story for another. A story, <laughs> sorry, a story for another time. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so an, another theory. Is that Doris Bither could have attracted three evil spirits into her life. You know, it, it could be argued that Doris, you know, could have been abused by three influent, influential men in her life, whether father, uncle, grandfather, or somebody she trusted. The combination of self-medicating and having psychic abilities as well as self-loathing could have made her an attractive victim to these malevolent spirits. And that's, that's what you get, you know, these demons and stuff. They prey on people that suffer like that.
1: Well, I'm not going to be self-loathing. Let me tell you that. <laughs>
0: Her lifestyle and energy, as well as her kids' energy, could very well have have manifested these feelings into something very evil and metaphysical. Uh, Post traumatic stress syndrome, like the, like a lot of the um, people in the military get, yeah, and psychic abilities can have a great effect on one person. And a person that doesn't know about their abilities or under the influence of drug, uh, it can have a great effect on their surrounding environment. So it's just take-
1: amazing what your mind can do. I mean. I don't know it's just so scary to even think that I mean I don't think anything like that we could ever think of anything like that but
0: no I mean it's it's, you know you hear it all the time about people you know what they can do. Like, you know, they, their son's trapped under a car and, and a little, you know, 90 year old woman is Comes able to and, lift the car oh, off yeah, of him and stuff. Just, because, just... so the, the, the body and the mind is actually amazing on it's what it can very, do. It is
1: very amazing.
0: And you know, this reminds me of a story of the bell witch, uh, story, which we're going to talk about probably in a couple of weeks. Cause it's a fascinating story. It's down in Tennessee. So it's kind of, kind of close to us. It definitely fits in, but you know, this was back in the 1800s, back during where people accused of witches and what have you. And, uh, the little girl in the house, you know, typical poltergeist-type story. I mean, she would levitate. People would see this happening, and they assumed it was witchcraft. And in, in, in reality, it was probably, um, you know, there was thought that she was molested by her dad. Yeah. And uh, the thought was, you know, this was her projecting out. But, I mean, you know, this isn't wouldn't be the first situation of something like this happening due to an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. But we'll talk about that when we actually do the the story on the Bell Witch. Yeah. Uh, fantastic story, by the way. I love I love that whole thing. It's kind of kind of mm-hmm. creepy, but um, anyway. So this thing kept going on, right? So Doris, you know, the question would be: Is the house haunted? Is, is it got to do with the house? And the answer is no, because Doris moved several different times. She moved from Culver City to Carson, California, to San Bernardino, California, uh, from San Bernardino to Texas, and back to San Bernardino. In every case. The same things kept happening.
1: Oh no! It yeah. kept It like well, it See, didn't that's, really follow that's the her. Whole thing. It's all on her mind. It's
0: it's her. She's creating it. Oh
1: my gosh! And that so sucks.
0: You've got these things, and 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 people who've there's actually been people who've lived in that house in Culver City
1: mm-hmm. ever
0: since, and there's never been never
1: been any type of anything. Nope.
0: Never been any kind of claim whatsoever of anything like
1: that. Oh happening. my gosh!
0: And then as far as as far as Doris. Uh, nobody's really heard from her. You know, there's some people that say in the '80s, you know, they talked to her. I think, especially after the movie The mm-hmm. Entity came out, um, and they they some people say that she was heard from in the early '90s. But I mean, realistically,
1: and so nobody even knows that she's still living or any nobody knows anywhere about. I guess I don't her think kids so. kids never came kids, out kids anything? kids
0: never came forward said anything about it.
1: Wow, I guess they just wanted it to be over and all that fun stuff. Well, that's really interesting. I guess you just need to keep love and happiness in your heart and surround yourself with happy people so you don't have to endure
0: any of that crap. Yeah, you definitely uh, <laughs> you definitely don't know what's out there. And, yeah. And it's it's kind of sad. So with that being said, that's the end of the story. And I, and like I said, I love these movie stories and the true stories behind them. And I'm going to try to find some more of these. Mm-hmm. I know... Um, there's so many stories. I get so excited about this, and I know you do too, that I'll, I'll see a story, and i like, oh, we need to do a show on this, and then yeah. we need to do a show, and then I'll see something else, and we'll just completely change directions, <laughs> and we'll do a show on this. But we do know what next week's show is going to be. We're going to do a whole show on Aleister Crowley. Yeah. Uh, man, i tell you what, I've done so much research on Aleister Crowley and this guy was the baddest of the bad. Oh, he, yeah. He's
1: a crazy mofo
0: for he, sure. He, uh, he's scary. It's <laughs> That's definitely going to be one when you hear about this guy and you hear what his beliefs and what he actually did and, and get into detail. It's going to be a hard one. If you listen at nighttime, good luck trying to sleep that night. Oh, Lord. What I want to do, I told you guys I want to start reading your ghost stories. And please, you can just send, go to our website. Our emails are right there. Go to our Facebook page. Um, send us, you know, the email is, is Jerry Pauly, J E R R Y, P A U L L E Y at AOL.com. That's right. I still use AOL. <laughs> <laughs> but send us your story. Oh, please. And, and do. we'll read it. We like to hear what everybody, hey, this is, you're not going to be judged on this show. This is an area where you can sit and, and talk about this stuff and know you got people that believe in yes, what you're saying. Yes,
1: absolutely. We would love to hear some good stuff.
0: So this gentleman sent me a story. He didn't want his name mentioned. So I'm okay with that. He's in, uh, he, he actually responded to a Lynchburg, uh, Virginia Craigslist ad, and he says, bought a house that was uh, made, it was originally built in the mid-1800s, it was a small house, it's in the original part of Madison Heights, Virginia. This was about three and a half years ago. I had an immediate issue with music playing in the middle of the early uh, a.m. hours of the night. We went outside with the dogs, no music. It's kept up. We talked to a neighbor, a friend of the guy who two owners ago owned my house. It's a long story. A lot of stuff came to light. I can't really share any of that stuff right this second. Now it's slowed down a lot, still once in a while, but the guy died at the bottom of the staircase, reaching for the banister. He was not discovered for two days and had two big dogs. Now I have four smaller dogs and feel he has passed, pretty much. Still do wake up sometimes hearing music from nowhere, but no longer bothers me when it happens. My dogs are not disturbed by any of this. He was a dog lover and into a lot of different types of music all the time, according to a neighbor who grew up there. I am no longer upset, but I am aware that I am not alone. He is still around at times, but never disturbing my dogs.
1: Oh, wow. That's pretty cool, though.
0: It is a pretty cool story.
1: I mean, I'm sorry that he... He passed, but, you know, if that's the worst thing is some good music and things like that, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's what
0: I need. I need some ghosts to just play some good music. Yeah, no doubt. Maybe he's haunted by (laughs) iHeartRadio. Oh,
1: my gosh. There's all kinds of music there,
0: for sure. I wanted to read, uh, before we get off here, I want to start trying to find some unexplained little short, uh, quick stories that I just think, you know, or facts or what Mm -hmm. have you, that I thought were cool, and I found a couple. I'm only going to read one of them tonight. But I thought this was kind of a cool story. This happened in 1995. A man named Terry Cottle killed himself by firing a 22 round into his brain. As an organ donor, he gave his heart to a 57 year old man named Sonny Graham. But when Sonny met Terry's widow, something strange happened. Sonny met with Terry's widow to thank her for the heart and instantly fell in love with her. They were married in 2004. After four years, their relationship followed similar patterns as Terry's To the point to where Sonny also eventually shot himself in the head. Oh,
1: my God.
0: So this guy shoots himself in the head. He donates his his organs. So his heart goes to this guy. He meets the guy who died's wife to thank her for the heart. They fell in love and got married. And then eventually this guy shoots himself in the head just like the guy that he got the heart from.
1: So, the moral of the story is don't marry that woman.
0: I would think so. Is
1: that the moral of the story?
0: I think the I think this woman just really may have just been a bitch driving people to suicide, <laughs> and it may not have had nothing to do with the heart.
1: Oh, my gosh. That's crazy, though. That is so crazy.
0: All right. Well, I'm going to read another one. Okay, good. What the hell? We got all kinds of time. All right. Yeah. I thought this one was kind of cool, too. 1976, a man named Alan Showery killed a fellow hospital worker, Teresita Bassa, by stabbing her and setting her body on fire. Sounds like a nice guy. Mm-hmm. There was little evidence linking Showery to the murder. In fact, the only evidence police had was an account from the from the only witness, Teresita Bassa. That's right, the dead chick. A year after Bassa's death, another co-worker at the same hospital, Remy Chua, claimed she saw an apparition of Bassa haunting the lounge. Chua soon began to act uncharacteristically. She started singing songs she never knew and roamed the halls as if she was in a trance. One evening, she came and came to her family and spoke to them in Bossa's voice, naming Shaori as her murderer. Oh. Sure enough, when the police investigated Shaori's home, they found many of Bossa's belongings, forcing Shaori to confess. To this day, no one can explain how or why this happened to Remy Chua.
1: Wow. Well, what I want to know is how did they know she didn't know the words to the songs? I don't know. See, that's an assumption. She might have known the words to all the songs.
0: Yeah, but turns that's it
1: out. kind of pretty cool that she came and ended up getting that stupid guy convicted and found out. That's awesome. Good for her.
0: Yep, it goes kind of back to the story if you go back and listen to episode two about the, uh, the Greenbrier yeah. Uh, ghost. Yeah. That was the only case in American history to where a ghost testimony actually got somebody convicted of murder.
1: Oh, my gosh. And so. Yes. Oh. Ooh, that's creepy.
0: Guys, it's been fun. We've had a great time doing this one, and then uh, these times just fly by. Like I said, we started doing these things, they were 20 minutes. Now they've crept up to, like, 40 minutes, and, heck, we could probably do 60 minutes and be happy, and. But we, we know you guys got a busy life and things to do, and it's hard to spare, you know, more than 35 or 40 minutes. So we appreciate you listening to us. And
1: we also would like to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. Um, have fun with your family, your loved ones, and uh, we'll catch you next week.
0: Absolutely. Thank you, guys. See you next week.